Last week we started a series called Hope. And we're talking about how hope is discovered in the night of adversity. Most times when I start a teaching series, I, I borrow a quote from somebody that I'm reading, an author outside of scripture that I'm reading. And this quote for this series is from uh, Charles uh, Haddon Spurgeon. And he says this about hope. He says, it's like a star not to be seen in the sunshine of prosperity, but to be discovered in the night of adversity. And if you're anything like me, um, there might be some things that you're living through this moment, perhaps in this season, and it feels like it's nighttime. Um, there's adversity, there's some challenges, um, and we're falling back on God's Word to see how we do find the light in that, how we find the, the hope in it. Um, this is what hope is not. Hope is not whimsical or positive thinking. Many times the word hope is used to confirm an uncertain situation. Recently I lost my keys and my first words were, I hope I find them. Had no clue if I would or where they were. But it was really uncertain. But I use that term regardless. Hope is not about positive thinking, harder thinking. Um, set yourself up, pull yourself up from the bootstraps and get going. And I shared last week some statistics that I've been reading specifically concerning the United States. And we are in a season where there are more self-help books than there ever has been in the history. Self-help books for relationships, for health, for marriages, for kids, to battle addictions, to get further uh, in life. And when you look at certain uh, segments of those things that I just mentioned, the divorce rate is as high as it's ever been. Addiction rate to pornography and alcohol and other things, it's as high as it ever has been. Incarceration, it's as high as it ever has been. Different things, but yet we have a wealth of self-help books. And this is why I'm pushing that it's not about going to try harder because many times when we read a book and it says do A, B, C, and D, it's not guaranteed that we will achieve what is on the last page of the book. So instead of actually building more hope, we fall into despair because we were told that if we follow these steps, it would work out. And many times it just doesn't because life is tough. Hope is not about positive thinking because again, our thinking will fail us. It just will. Yesterday was my son's birthday and we met up with some friends to, 
to go to the movies, really joyful time. And as I am literally getting on 75, I see something flapping on my uh, wiper. And it's a ticket. My kind of level of joy went from here to here. What's my point? Is that it's not about trying to say, I'm going to think really good thoughts. Because we're so vulnerable to circumstances that in a moment, in a moment, things change. We can get a phone call and the positive thinking, guess what? Didn't do jack for us. A tragic phone call. A tragic report from the doctor. So what is hope then? If it's not about trying harder, if it's not about positive thinking, what, what is hope? Well, it's a confident expectation. Don't miss the parentheses. In Jesus. Not in self. We've already tried self. Or if you're like me, you've already tried hard enough yourself and you've already failed enough yourself. Hit rewind, go all the way back to Genesis. Adam and Eve had utopia. Chew on that for a moment. Everything, everything. Try to put yourself in that context. Everything, every desire in your heart, they had it. No hurt, no work, no pain, joy, blissful joy. But it wasn't good enough because they tried their own way. They said, well, he said this, but we're going to try this. And it all fell apart. And that's part of the life that we're experiencing right now, that brokenness, that falling apart. So the confident expectation isn't in self. The confident expectation is in Jesus. The one who calls us sons and daughters, the one who says, I am a perfect father, unlike earthly fathers who fail. God knows I fail and I lose my patience with my kids and I blow it and sometimes I set examples for them that I shouldn't be setting for them. But I set that to the side. God's not like me as a father. God is a perfect father who knows how to give good gifts to his kids. So hope is a confident expectation in the goodness of Jesus. And just with that one statement, we should be able to breathe in. It's in His work. It's in His goodness. It's in Him delighting in us. Hope is vital. Vital. Do you know what vital means? Necessary. To life. We can be without food. 30 to 40 days, according to a little bit of research I did. Without water for three to five days. Without air, three to six, seven minutes. Depends on the person, obviously, for any of those. But man cannot be without hope for even one second.
And it's in those nights of adversity that the stars shine brighter. It's in those nights of adversity that we begin to fall on him. We begin to cry out like that song that he would shine on us. Out of unconditional love, out of irrevocable and inexhaustible love. Hope is not in the want. I want to find my keys. I want to see some really cool things happen here on Sunday mornings. I want my kids to grow up to be X, Y, and Z. All those are good things. Gifts from God. But when I hope, when I put my hope in a thing and that thing missed away, for one reason or another, then my hope is gone. If I, hope, if I put my hope strictly on what happens here on a Sunday morning, and what I'm hoping for does not happen, then my hope is gone, snatched out of me. Those things are misty. They vanish quickly. I have no control of them. So what is true hope then? True hope is in the person and the power of Jesus Christ. Hope is a noun, a person, the good father. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of the morning. Is that hope is ushered in through suffering. If you're anything like me, you don't like to suffer. If you're anything like me, you don't like adversity. If you're anything like me, stuff hurts here often. Everything we're going to cover from this moment on is God's word. And if it rubs you and you feel like it's cutting you on the inside, I am the messenger, okay? Let the word of God heal you. And many times we've got to be cut. And then there's new flesh. There's a little scar that reminds you of his goodness. I'm going to read a passage from the book of Isaiah in regard to the Son of God. This is what the book of Isaiah says about the Son of God. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over, a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. When look at him and people turned away, we looked down on him, thought he was scum, but the fact is it was our pains he carried our disfigurements all the things wrong with us we thought he brought it on himself that god was punishing him for his own failures but it was our sins that did that to him that ripped and tore and crushed him our sins he took the punishment and that makes us whole 
So this passage is describing the Son of God. I think that many times we are guilty of romanticizing the Bible. Don't miss the pain of these words. This is from Isaiah 53. The version I, I used is the message version of the Bible. But people looked at Jesus and said there is nothing kingly about him. Nothing beautiful about him. He is gross. He is scum. He doesn't have the pedigree. The son of God. The one worshipped by angels. The one who was there when life was created. People looked at him and despised him. Rejected him. Spit on him. Mocked him. He left the chance of heaven, of angels singing holy, 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 and came for the chance of men saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. This passage is describing the pain and suffering that Jesus would endure. By the way, pain and suffering that is unfathomable for you and I. Not downplaying at all your pain and your adversity. Hear that clearly. But truth is that you and I will never experience the pain and the suffering that Jesus Christ did on the cross. Rejection from his own father, turning his back away from him. They had been together for eternity. And the father has to turn his back away on, on him on the cross. Isolation. Death, ridicule, mocking. He experienced a type of suffering that you and I never will. Suffering in our lives is like an unwanted jackhammer. think we're bad sufferers. We suffer when the room is too cold. We suffer when it's too hot. We suffer when we can't find the remote control for Netflix. We suffer when we're driving to our son's birthday party and we find a parking ticket on the windshield wiper. We're bad sufferers. We don't, we don't like to suffer. And Jesus, our Father, says, my love for you is so intense that I will allow seasons that will make you look more like me. That suffering is not in vain. And that's when that clashes with all of our humanity. If he loved me, he wouldn't let me go through this. Our perspective is so finite, so limited. He says, I see big picture, 30,000 feet. suffering, that adversity, past, present, for future, it will come for all of us. 
It's just life. He said, it's like a jackhammer that I allow to chisel and prepare for greater things. I need to pause there and reiterate again that nothing you are listening to this morning is from my heart. It is me taking scripture and saying, I'm going to speak it. So the choices are this. I don't believe it because I don't like it or it's God's word and I believe it regardless. Those are the options. I shared with a handful of you, sent text messages to a handful of you during the week. I said, pray for me because this might be the hardest message I've ever taught in 10 years. I don't believe God would allow me to go through certain stuff. Stop blinding yourself. And I say that with love. But God knows best. He knows how to chisel us. He knows that the process will prepare us for the position. Matthew 10.24 says that a student is not greater than the teacher says that the servant is not greater than the master. What is Jesus saying to us? He's saying, I'm the master and I'm the teacher. And if I experience this kind of pain and suffering, there is no reason that you should or would set yourself up to believe life is easy, peasy, breezy. I'm entitled to better. We're not entitled to better. He will give us better, but that, that attitude of entitlement is what wedges a gap between us. Why would you give him and not me? He says, I make my sunshine upon who I make it shine, and I make it come down upon who I choose to make it come upon. These are hard sayings, and they will only sink into our heart if we let the Holy Spirit do the digging in our hearts, plant the seeds in our heart, let Him water, let it flourish. Servants not greater than the master, students not greater than the teacher. The beautiful thing in this is that He says, You're the student, and I'm holding your hand. You're the servant, and I'm holding your hand, and my presence is more than enough. Here's what the jackhammer does. It breaks apart our autonomy. I'm not autonomous, Poyo. You hear me speak about this often. You're like, my cuz is, my bro is, my boss is, person I grew up with is. What's autonomy? Nobody tells me what to do. I am independent. I do as I please, when I please, where I please, how I please, with whom I please, at the time I please. Here's a gauge to do an introspective check in all of our hearts. Autonomy looks like this Are you receptive to people's advice? Are 
Are you receptive to your neighbor's advice? Are you receptive to your friend's advice? Are you receptive to your dad's advice, to your mom's advice? Are you receptive to allowing people to speak into your situations? Let me get a little bit more real. Are you receptive to God's word in your life or is it, no, I don't care what he says, I think this. That is a clear sign of autonomy. God says this, but I want this. I don't care if it's written in black and white and that's God's living word that separated light from darkness. What's God's will for my life, Pollo? Probably the question that I get asked the most as a pastor. It's in black and white. Open up the book. Should I sleep with my boyfriend? It's in black and white. Should I steal money from my taxes? It's in black and white. Should I give to the work of God? It's in black and white. Should I love my neighbor? It's in black and white. Should I love my enemies? It's in black and white. Should I put the desires of others before my own? It's in black and white. Should I suffer well? It's in black and white. So this jackhammer of suffering, these seasons of suffering, tear up our autonomy, which is a good thing. It tears up our self-sufficiency. Well, I'm a little bit autonomous, Poyo, now that I'm thinking about it, but I'm definitely not self-sufficient. Here's a gauge for that. Do you ever reach out for help? Anything. I need a ride? Or I need... Or, or I need some wisdom. I need a hug. I need somebody to say I love you because I haven't heard it. Just happened to me last week. Guy in his 40s said, I am so desperately lonely. I've got all the stuff revolving around me and I can go out every day during the week and I can be as busy as I can during the week. But guess what? I don't have one single person to look at and say, I love you. And he reached out to me. In tears, a grown man. Are you self-sufficient? I've got everything I need in order to do everything that I want to do. You don't reach out to your boss. You don't reach out to your neighbor. You don't reach out to your friend. But again, let's bring it home, right? Let's make it personal because we're at church. Do you reach out to God? Is he just a good teacher? Somebody who wrote some cool stuff? Somebody made some cool t-shirts about what he wrote? They put it on coffee mugs? Is that who God is for you? Or is God, God, Lord, King over all? Does life orbit around him? Do you reach out to God? In a time of need... Jesus, help me. Amen. No scripted prayers. No hands clasped. No getting on your knees required. He's not a foreign dignitary. He's your father. David wants Legos for his birthday. He's been wanting them for 364 days since last year's birthday. Never once... 
Did he prepare a speech to come and say, this is what I need, Dad? Let that suffering break apart our autonomy, our self-sufficiency. Those things are lies that set us up for failure. This is God's word. That jackhammer of suffering also tears away stuff that we've domesticated very well. One of the things that we domesticate very well is despair. So situation has been so adverse and so dark and so hopeless for such a long time that now despair is your BFF. You would never say that. Ever. None of us would ever say that. You would never get a little tattoo here, right? You would never get the t-shirt that says despair has moved into my house. Despair put his clothes in my drawer. Despair drinks my milk. We never do that. But again, here we go, introspective. Is despair your identity? Like you sit down with folks and the first couple of things that come out of your mouth are problems and despair and how terrible that is and this is and that is and how unfair. Despair, it's domesticated. You pet despair before you go to bed at night. In the morning, you set up a little water for that, dude. Now despair is this terrible monster that rips away the hope of Jesus Christ, the person, the power. That suffering, the way God intends it, is a jackhammer that is beautiful. And it's chipping and chiseling and grinding away at all that junk that is in our lives That's how good of a father he is. That's how loving. That's his perspective. It was in my deepest moment of being jackhammered that I found God's perspective for my life. I don't have time to go through it. But go to our website, loveinmotion.info. My story is there. Jack hammered everything out of me. My autonomy, my self-sufficiency. Not to say that I don't still deal with those. But at that moment, drowning in autonomy and self-sufficiency and despair, that's when he showed up. Deep suffering. Physical, emotional, and the list can go on and on and on. Interesting thing is that we can only be filled up when we realize that we're empty. If my tank of gas is past a little F because I put a couple extra drops in there, guess what? I cannot fill it up any more than that. But none of us are there. None of us are there. When we're empty, that ushers gives the green light for the spirit of the living God, the power and the presence, hope, capital H, to come in and fill us up. It was in my moment of most adversity that he was able to come in, pick me up, put his arms around me because I literally could not stand up. Literally. Not even 
That's not even saying anything about the emotional and physical stuff. To pick me up and say, I see that you've got nothing, son. And he wants to say that to you today. I see that you've got nothing, daughter. Because it is when we get to the end of self that we find the beginning of him. What does he fill us up with? A waterfall, an overflow, a never-ending Niagara of hope and peace and encouragement. And when things are crumbling, you know you're standing on that rock that never moves and never shakes. And many times, you know how he speaks those things to us? Don't miss it. By the person who's sitting next to you or across from you right now, God chooses to show up through his people. Can he send an angel in a white robe with blonde hair and blue eyes and a sash that says angel with a sign that says, here's your dose of hope? He can do that if he wanted to. He chooses not to do that. He chooses to use you to encourage and fill with hope and peace and love. Why do we talk about living love so often? Because this is what we're created for and meant for. The design is not love and motions. We threw up a cool acronym. I think it's cool at least. But the design is not mine. Father, Son, Spirit, perfect community, serving, loving each other, revolving around each other, orbiting around each other. That's how God shows up. Filling you up with that encouragement that you need, even when you don't want that encouragement, even when you're not ready for it. It's not on your outlook. You've got stuff to do. But I'm going to put those needs first. He's, boom, I'm going to fill you up. I'm going to fill you up. You're imitating my son, Jesus Christ. Left the chance of the angels to receive the chance of the crucifiers. I filled him up. I picked him up. I rose him from the dead. When it looked darkest, it changed to the brightest. That's hope. So brokenness leads to bonding. Bonding with him, bonding with each other. Got it? Bonding then leads to a show of power. Poyo's words? No. God's words. Breathed out for you and I. Your autonomy can say, I see him and I hear him, but I don't care about him, so shut up. Or you can say, that's God. Let him work in me. Let him jackhammer me. This is what God's word says about suffering. This is through suffering our bodies share in the death of Jesus so that the power of Jesus might be seen in our lives. Okay. So whatever adversity or suffering or darkness you're walking through right now, relationally or physically or financially or all of them above, he says those are moments for in your weakness for me to show up. The power of Christ shows up in those times. Think about it like this. If you're always strong and you're always powerful and you're always autonomous and you're always self-sufficient, you don't need a savior. You are your own functioning mini savior. You are full to the brim. There is nothing for the Holy Spirit to come and Niagara into your tank. This is one of the biggest obstacles of the word of God. That it says it's so easy. Just 
acknowledge your disqualification and that's what qualifies you. Nothing else in the world looks like that or works like that. You show up tomorrow with your boss and say, I just realized that I can completely disqualify for this job. What's he going to do? See ya. This is why the word of God is called a stumbling block for many. And for others, it's a cornerstone, the building block. I'm disqualified. I'm empty. Jackhammering the self-sufficiency out of us. Jackhammering the autonomy out of us. Jackhammering the bitterness out of us. Jackhammering the despair out of us. The hopelessness. The false identity. The anxiety. The lies. Jackhammering because he loves us. He says, it is in those weak moments that I come in, step and flex my muscles. So people look at you and say, there's no way you're getting through this. You're like, it's God. We bond with him. He brings everything to the party. It's not a BYOB with God. It's just put your hand on the knob and walk in. Bonding leads to joy. So bonding leads to brokenness or empty. Bonding leads to a show of power. Him in us when we are weak. And perhaps the most beautiful. Bonding leads to joy. The, the writer of Psalms says in 1819 that he was rescued because he delights in him. He was rescued because he delights in him. The writer of the Psalms is the one who committed adultery and who murdered the husband of the woman he committed adultery with. He didn't earn God delighting in him. Neither can you or me. This is the beauty of the good news of Jesus Christ. He delights in you. It doesn't matter what happened last night or eight years ago. He delights in you pursues you. Sings over you with a good song. Literally, I am well pleased with you. Whispers, I love you. And you're special and your identity is as my Son, your identity is as my daughter. That bonding leads to joy because that is true joy. That is true hope. That he will never leave us. That he will never forsake us. That he is holding us according to Isaiah 41, 13 from our right hand. And he never lets go. And he is here to help us.
This is how I'll finish. Jeremiah 32, 17 says that nothing is impossible for God. This isn't my opinion. This isn't my way to upsell what I'm trying to do here this morning. God doesn't need anybody to throw some glitter on his word so it's more attractive. In fact, the more you try to do that, the more you kill it because it's man's work. It's not the point in this. The point is this, is that he says nothing is impossible. He says nothing is impossible. The one that saw a friend of his in a tomb, wrapped up in linens, had been dead for days, and spoke to the tomb, and he walked out of there. He says nothing is impossible. What is dead in your life? What feels like it's dead or dying on the inside slowly, or you feel like it's been dying for years? My clock is running out. He says when things look dead, I show up when you're empty, and I flex my muscle. That's hope. But I've read that if I don't hurry up, autonomy. God says nothing is impossible. God, not Poyo. Throw rocks at me if I step up here and say nothing is impossible because I say so. Let the word of God speak into you. Please, friends, stop putting your hand in his face. It's a fight. It is. It's a daily fight. The book of Timothy says that we're like soldiers. Doesn't come easy. Guess what? That's why we've got each other. Guess what? That's why I stand up here and talk about live love. That's why I encourage you to exchange numbers, to go and eat, to go and drink, to go and run, to go and sweat, to go and cry, to go and rejoice. We've got few things outside of that that have eternal value. The question isn't, do you believe in God? Especially in our context Geographically, the majority of the people will say yes. So that's not the question. The question is, do you believe the God that you say you believe in? Two different issues, right? Do you believe what God says? And if so, I invite you to go home and chew on this for the rest of the week. He delights in you. He truly does. This is my son and in him I am well pleased. And he wants you to rest in him. In my emptiness I throw up my hands. And he says I'm working on behalf of those who wait on me, who rest in me. Isaiah 64, 4, for those of you who love Bible verses. 
rest. That's the good news for us this morning. You didn't walk in here to be more burdened, right? Because life is tough already. Jesus says, I came to share the good news. And it's my prayer and my desire that by God's grace, you would receive that good news. Rest. Throw up your hands and rest. Jesus, thank you because you are at work 